everybody, welcome to another episode of MCG Rants brought to you by Barrister and Man. Uh, you can check out their website, Barrister and Man, that's manof2ends.com, and use our uh, affiliate code MTG Rants for 15% off of uh, any of your orders there. So make sure you check that stuff out. Ross, how are you doing today? I am doing quite well. Uh, you know, just uh, we're recording this on a Thursday late afternoon, so right after I'm finished with Versus, so I got my work done for the week. Um, you know, just going to spend this weekend kind of finishing the unpacking I have left to do, um, which is mostly like extra clothes and I'm going through it slowly and figuring out things I want to get rid of, either throw away or donate, uh, just to pare down and some kitchen stuff because like Travis and Rob already basically have like a full Mm -hmm. amount of, of the normal stuff. So I've got to figure out what of mine I'm actually going to take out because like all my silverware, all my plates, and bowls and and some of my cups i like my pint glasses i've got cool pint glasses from different breweries so those are going to come out but a lot of stuff is just going to get put in a box and put down in storage so that stuff wasn't just like take everything out put it in its place kind of mm-hmm. stuff um so just got a little bit of unpacking left to do and had a good week it was nba free agency week which like it's kind of crazy for me because you know being a big time baseball guy, our free agency can last for the entire off season. The NBA stuff is like it's condensed into a very short amount of time, just like in the NFL. Yeah, for the most part, it happens within the span of three or four days to a week. Yeah, like max, and then technically yeah. it it lasts for about a month, um, and and some other moves like trickle in later. Uh, but for the most part, it's the first three or four days, and the Jazz have basically made all of their moves for free agency and i was really happy with them like uh, uh codley conley got his yeah white side so with so with their so the with, with their cap situation they basically went all in on their core a couple years ago and so they don't have really they're not flexible in terms of free agency they may they are mainly building via trades from this point or developing young talent so the you know obviously re-signing conley was the biggest thing and they have his bird rights, which is a thing that if like you're, you know, if you had a player for long enough or you traded for him, you can go over the cap to re-sign him. It's meant to help, you know, small markets uh, re-sign homegrown talent and keep their stars. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. But in this case, uh, it lets the Jazz just like go way over the cap to sign Conley, which they need to because they're in the luxury tax, and they re-sign him at a reasonable number. That was step one. And then they have, uh, there's a bunch of, the NBA has a soft cap, for those who don't know, which means there's a lot of different exceptions that let you go over the cap. And one of them is called the mid-level exception. It's probably the most common one. But there's two different kinds of mid-level exceptions. There's one for teams that are over the luxury tax and one for teams that are under. So teams that are over don't get as much of a mid-level exception because you're already spending a ton of money. Jazz are over the cap, so they have the taxpayer mid-level, which is only about $6 million a year. Uh, full mid-level is like nine and a half. Uh, so they need to, they needed to upgrade their perimeter defense with a sort of like, ideally like a, a, a person who can defend on the perimeter a little bit can switch, you know, uh, but plays pretty big, makes them a little bit more athletic, but doesn't compromise their spacing and can still shoot. And they got all of those things in Rudy Gay. It was exactly the guy I wanted them to sign with that contract. Like, but you know, if you'd asked me three days before free agency, who do you want the jazz to sign? Rudy Gay was the one I said. Or I, I said or Otto Porter, but I would have had Rudy Gay like 1A, Otto Porter 1B, right? Um, Otto Porter ended up signing with the Warriors for the minimum. Uh, and, uh, you know, so Rudy Gay was exactly what they needed there. And then they salary dumped Derek Favors to so their tax bill wasn't going to be as high. So they needed a veteran minimum backup center. 
And while Hassan Whiteside was not exactly the guy I wanted, I think he's a perfectly fine backup center at the minimum, as memified as he is at this point. Um, he's still just very athletic. Um, he's kind of a, a space cadet. Sometimes he's just not, you know, engaged. But I think at this point, he, like if he has another year like he had this past year where he was in Sacramento, a bad team, a non-playoff team, and he fell out of their rotation, which is generally a bad sign, and he's on the wrong side of 30. So at that point, like you're close to being out of the league. So for me, like if he has, if the people in his ear should be telling him like, you've got to be on point this year. You got to play your role, you know, and he's also going to be on a winning team, which tends to motivate players, right? Um, so hopefully he's he's less spacey, but still gets to use his physical tools well. Perfectly fine backup center. They also traded for Eric Pascal, who's a who's a Warriors draft pick a couple of years ago, and you know had good counting stats his rookie year with the Warriors, which was two years ago when they were horrible because their entire team was injured, and so he got a lot of minutes, you know, put up like 10, 15 points a game, something like that. And he actually was on the first or second all-rookie team as the second-round draft pick, which is pretty good. Uh, fell out of the rotation this year because he's actually just not good. Um, <laughs> and if you look at his advanced numbers, like it shows he's just not good. Um, but he is Donovan Mitchell's childhood friend. So he gets to sit at the end of the bench in Utah, on a, uh, I think on a two-year deal, make a few million dollars, and hang out with Donovan. And Donovan gets to have his friend there. So as far as I'm concerned, like that's a good way to spend your like 12th roster pick or roster slot. Ross, where's my two million dollar contract for having to put up with you every week for this? Show? <laughs> just hang out. Unfortunately for you, I'm not Donovan Mitchell. I'm, I'm not going to be as successful as him. Is there any way to fix that? Like, what, um, do, we need, what do we need not, to do? Not at this point. You're about at least 20 years too late. Probably more like 25. And probably like seven or eight inches of your height and like yeah uh probably another several tiers of, of athleticism yeah multiple inches on your vertical like yeah yeah maybe maybe yeah that that, that was not gonna happen so uh yeah so very good you know active free agency from utah more active than i actually thought they were gonna be i thought like i thought they were gonna kind of wait out the the center market and just figure out what good player kind of got overlooked um but they went out and, and got a guy who's perfectly fine so very happy with that. Um, going to be excited. Like now we're into summer league ball. The so they have a the Jazz host their own summer league in Salt Lake City. Only two other teams came, so the Jazz fielded two different teams. So they have their A team, B team, and then I think it's the Spurs and Grizzlies. So they've been doing a little summer leaguing. Um, unfortunately, the Jazz draft pick ha- hasn't played in them, so I haven't gotten to see Jared Butler. And then um, well, they'll do the Las Vegas summer league, which has a bunch of teams in in a week or two, something like that. Um, and then we'll get into training camp in like early to mid September. We're not that far off from that, so uh, pretty cool. Um, the Rudy Gobert is in the Olympic finals. It's going to be France against the U.S. Unfortunately, it can't be Rudy against Joe because Australia lost to the U.S. But uh, that that would have been sweet. Australia was actually up fifteen in, in the first half against the U.S. last night, and then the, they the U.S. just dominated the last two and a half quarters. Just absolutely dominated. They ended up winning by like twenty. <laughs> <laughs> they finally got their shit together. They, they, there were some people questioning, uh, you know, the gold medal status at the beginning of the Olympics. There, yeah. Well, what happens all the time is everyone talks about all the uh, all the other teams and all the the like marginal NBA players that are on the, some of the other international teams end up looking really, really good in 
you know, the international play. Like Ricky Rubio always looks great for Spain. Patty Mills looks great for Australia. All of these things. And what you have to realize is like the U.S. is, is has a very different team every four years, right? You know, th- there are some repeat guys that are there. Like KD's been there a lot. Carmelo go, go, was there for many years. But like, for, for the most part, like, they have a ton of roster turnover because there's like 80 guys that they could pick from that are going to be great, probably even more, right? And so it just depends like who can be there, who wants to be there, you know, whatever. And we'll just take a random collection of great talent and yeah. and make we'll it make it, it work. Yeah. And so they have like two weeks to like figure it out and like cohere as a team. And all the other international teams, it's like we've got our guys and they've been playing together for decades yeah. and they all know each other. So like they just play a lot more cohesively. Uh, and that like they all know each other because they're the only great basketball players in their countries. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually the talent gap comes up where you're like, well, look, y- y- y'all y'all play really well together, but that's Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. He's not guardable. I don't care who you are. Yeah, <laughs> like, like yeah, Slovenia. Yeah, you have Luka Doncic, but like, who is your second best player? <laughs> yeah, the 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 delta there versus the second best player on the on, on the U.S. team is quite large. You know, yeah. So. We've got um, Damian Lillard, who I don't even know if he's the second best player on the U.S. Yes, team, but I know he's on whoever. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, there was there was yeah. some some memes and some jokes going around that uh, when they were when it was looking a little bad for the U.S., they were like for to to really sell uh, Space Jam uh, <laughs> coming out, they should have had LeBron show up to like save the U.S. team, kind of <laughs> like, like he's supposed to do in Space Jam. They're like, yeah, it'd be like the the best uh, marketing for that movie ever. Which, by the way, I heard the movie was like pop culture cool and like you know stuff like that is just awful otherwise the, the only thing i've heard from people is it's so bad that you shouldn't even waste your time watching it as a bad movie yeah and like honestly i'm, I'm not gonna watch it i literally called that happening from the start like from yeah. literally the day it was announced i was like that's gonna be atrocious it took them a while right like i think this movie got announced like a f- like more than a year you know what i mean like it, it yeah was like i think four or five years ago they had the, they're like yeah we're gonna do space jam 2 with lebron you know like yeah. just whenever he was done and ready you know, he had time. Like they're probably waiting for a year where he like didn't make the playoffs. You know, didn't didn't get to the finals. You know, he has time to you yeah. know, go film a movie or a couple weeks of filming. Yeah, because it's just mostly him running around on a court with a bunch of green screen, right? Like the movie's just like him with a bunch of cartoon. I'm assuming like kind of like the first one. You yeah. know, there's there's some people, but the New- movie's Newman mostly was, green. Newman screen. was in the first one. He was, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. like playing golf, and he gets sucked into the into the into the yeah. go- like the the golf and, hole, and, and he, like, Bill Murray was in it too, right? Yeah, yeah. Bill Murray's definitely in it. I don't know if he's in the second one or whatever, but I don't think yeah. he's been in a movie in a long time. But yeah, <laughs> Bill Murray doesn't even have an agent. Like people call him, and he just do- does the negotiations and deals with it. Yeah, I think one of the only things he does like Hollywoodish kind of anymore is he still does like program stuff for golf. Yeah. quite a bit like he plays in those and puts on a good show and Bill stuff Murray just does whatever the fuck he wants oh yeah he's the biggest like zero fucks given person in the world right now i'm pretty sure he just like literally does whatever he wants at all times there's a few like older actors that do stuff like that like you always hear like the cool stories about them or uh you know people show the photos of them when they run into him in person and stuff yeah that's 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 how i want my like retirement to be i'm just gonna like give zero fucks do whatever i want and just like hopefully there's enough money to to to, to do that kind of thing but we'll see hopefully there's still a planet here to do that on we'll, yeah. we'll find out that's, that's, <laughs> another, that's another big part of the equation that's yeah a big if uh, this week on ncg rants it gets dark <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dystopian future do you think we're gonna have ross <laughs> uh, well i think it's gonna yeah. be more like aldous huxley's brave new world <laughs> yeah as opposed to george orwell's 1984 i think it's gonna be more like uh oh my god it literally is blank 
What's the book where there are all the boys are on the island? And you have to have like the stick to talk. Lord, or whatever? Lord of the Flies. Lord of the. I think it's gonna be more like Lord of the Flies. Yeah. yeah there's a. There is actually a really cool interpretation of Lord of the Flies. So everyone reads it as like an indictment of human nature in general, mm-hmm. and it's I think more appropriate to read it as an indictment of imperialism and the culture that is bred by imperialism in, in, in imperialist countries because it's, it's well-to-do British boys, right, that are on this island. Mm-hmm. So it's them, like, because of the way that they're, you know, raised to believe in their own superiority, that that's what leads to the complete collapse of their, you know, brief and small civilization there on the island. Whereas, you know, a, a people that are have a society much more based in communalism would have found ways to, to make that work. So, um, and the fact that it is read as a, and, and commonly set uh, cited as a indictment of human nature is, uh, also a way that like, you know, the, the imperialist powers control the narrative through art and through, uh, you know, uh, those kinds of media where you normally would think it has, you know, intellectual and artistic independence. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. So cool interpretation of that book, complete aside has nothing to do with anything else that yeah. we're talking about, but I, you know, can't pass up an opportunity to slam imperialism. Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, Hey, I mean, who could really, but yeah. uh, just to give an update on some of the stuff that we talked about last week, um, everyone tested negative between all of us and the, uh, sister-in-law's husband and stuff so uh i was like everyone's good there yeah everyone everyone's good like no one even showed no one even had like a scare you know or like they're like you know started having a cold or anything you're like oh no this is it (laughs) kind of thing you know uh so because i i I did get quite a bit of you know personal messages from people on like twitter or facebook or on my phone like hey you're like are you all right your family fine which i really appreciated you know we weren't that worried but you know at the same time it's it was like not a a zero percent thing so i appreciate that from everybody you know who you are and uh so let's say uh, what else has been going on i know you uh, so have you actually gotten everything out of the apartment are you just unpacking oh, yeah. still or are you you're, you're so you're done with the yeah the yeah apartment? i had i had to be out by the end of july so i i, I moved, oh, that's moved right. the end of july yeah yeah Good yeah, yeah. Was. so I, I was out last week entirely from that apartment mm-hmm. and i've got yeah i've just got like couple boxes of clothes to get through a box or two of kitchen stuff and i haven't set up my desktop yet and then that that's the last step is then figure out what's wrong with my desktop finally yeah and then eventually get to the stream that's been gone for like a year uh, eight months yes i mean it, honestly i feel like since the whole covid thing started that my whole sense of time has just like flown out of the window yeah, I didn't realize how much I relied on traveling to act as a mental benchmark of elapsed time. So mm-hmm. I would know, like, oh, I went to this tournament three weeks ago, and so we're coming up on that, and, like, this tournament was two weeks ago. It just, like, the order of them uh, would let me know exactly how much time has passed. So, so now, like, sometimes, like, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I forgot to do that thing. Okay, like, that was last week, right? It's like, that thing you were supposed to do was a month ago. You're an yeah. idiot. <laughs> yeah, and, like, uh, you know, we got... You and I, I think you saw this. I think it was on like Twitter. So we get tagged in a, uh, you know, Jim Jim Davis does his like throwback photos. You know, when he like, you know, your time hopper pops up on your phone. Yeah. And he tagged us in like an old uh, BCW challenge, like weekend photo. <clears throat> and I looked at the timestamp and I was like, this was really that long ago. Like I had to, like, you know, sit there and I was like, this was two and a half years ago. 
whatever, like almost oh. three years ago now. And like, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, it does feel like three years. And it feels like either, it feels either really short or really long and like nothing in between. Well, I think the, I think it just feels like a both because it feels like it, it, it's a lot of actual elapsed time, but that's time where very little happened. Like mm-hmm. we feel like we, it feels that's like we've been point. in a sort of mm-hmm. uh, a stasis. Um, and so you get the, and that's what makes it feel weird because it insert it's what it feels long in one way and short in other ways at the same time. And so there's a, there's a contradiction in the way your brain feels about it or makes you feel about it. And uh, that's what the, is so unsettling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of things that are unsettled, have you seen what's going on in modern recently? We have some, uh, some pretty big shakeups on like what decks people are playing and like what's is, is actually unsettled Mariner doing well. Is that what you're going at? Uh, I mean, that was kind of, like, part of it, and then, like, just the format itself kind of shaking out, because, you know, we went from Hammer Time just being, like, pretty much the best deck, or looking like it was the best deck, to, um, there's a specific deck that has arisen, and, uh, yeah, that one was kind of a small pun there, too, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a deck that's definitely come up that has a good matchup versus that deck, and it's just kind of, do, it started as, like, a meme, almost, I'm talking about the Elemental deck, Ross. And it almost looked like a meme because, you know, like we get a little elemental card here or there, another elemental card here or there. And then, you know, Canister started playing it and he started winning with it. He ended up winning a challenge with it. And so people started taking a little more notice and the deck started winning a lot more. Right. And we're seeing it do pretty well. It has a pretty damn good hammer time matchup. It was doing pretty well against a lot of the other decks that were quite popular because this is a deck that clutters up the board quite well, right? So when you're thinking about like Hammer Time and Ragavan decks and DRC decks, these are decks that do really well against it. You know, you've got a lot of cards like uh, Fury and Endurance that are like very, very good in those matchups and stop them a, a lot. You know, you have a lot of flying blockers, which do really well against the Hammer Time deck. A lot of ways to kill artifacts is on this deck too. And it seems like this was a deck that you know, I remember I saw, like, um, Caleb Durwood streaming this deck, you know, months ago. Like, you know, he goes through pretty much every deck in every format. I know I would, you know, streaming as much as he does. But this looks like a deck that took a big step forward with MH2. And, like, we didn't really kind of think about it. Even though, like, you know, when you saw all of the, the elemental incarnations, you didn't think about, oh, maybe the elemental deck is actually, like, really good now because it just got a whole bunch of really powerful cards that are synergy-driven. Yeah, um, because, you know... Everyone was really excited about those incarnations early on, and they ended up sort of falling flat. And now you're starting to see people realize, well, you know, maybe they're not just generically awesome cards that we should be jamming into all of our decks, but we need to really build with them in mind. And this Elementals deck is doing that because Risen Reef, which is sort of the key card in the deck, the card that holds it all together, lets you recoup the card disadvantage. So now you're doing things for free, you're trading, but and you're doing it at a card neutral way, but you're generating additional mana that way. And then once you have multiple Risen Reefs, you're generating card advantage and a mana advantage at the same time. So things get really laughably out of control. You still have the ephemerate synergies that people were trying with grief, but now you do just do them with fury and solitude and, and endurance. So there really is, um, you know, a, a lot to like about what this deck is doing synergy wise. And the key is, is it's one of the decks that can, sort of sit right on top of the Raghavan Dragon's Rage Channeler decks and, and also Colossus Hammer because they're similarly curved, right? Um, and that's always what you want to do in Magic. Like, if you try to go too big when, th- when the metagame is somewhat small, then they get underneath you. 
So, so there's a balancing act. You want to be bigger than them so that your cards are more powerful and you're going to, you know, when you go toe to toe, you'll come out ahead, but you don't want to go too big and just lose on tempo. This is a deck that goes pretty big. The curve that looks very high if you just look at it and look at the top right corner of all the cards, but you, you ensure that you're not going to fall really far behind because of the evoke on all of these incarnations. So that, that quirk is what allows the deck to go a little bit bigger because it has that insurance from all of the free spells in it. And it creates this really, really powerful engine that gets out of hand very quickly. Yeah. And I think this is another spot where Risen Reef really shines, right? Like you have Risen Reef in, in, in play, you evoke any of these elementals and it's triggering Risen Reef every time, right? So you're getting a land off your deck, you're getting another card off your deck. So like you're kind of recouping that card disadvantage of any of the times that you evoke these elementals. And then not only that, but like this deck is really good at spending all of its mana every turn, right? So you're doing all that plus you're doing this stuff with the, the evoking of the elementals and you're building your board state at once. You know, I've seen games of this deck where you're doing two to three things every turn and you're not running out of gas. And that's like a big thing in, in modern right now is a lot of the decks are uh, very low to the ground. Like you were talking about the natural curve of like Hammer Time and the DRC uh, Ragavan decks. And you see them over the first like two or three turns and they use all their mana. They kind of run out of cards, right? Like, you know, they have some card selection with, with Darcy and like they might get a card or two from you with Ragavan. But if that doesn't happen, like once they've cast two or three spells, like they're kind of out of cards if they draw four lands and they don't yeah. have a lot going on. While this deck's just getting started, right? And uh, we can kind of get into this because, like, there's a bunch of different builds of this, right? Like, you know, we've seen some very, like, conservative builds of this, I think is the way I want to pl- uh, say it, before we get into the one that won the showcase this, this weekend. And it all comes down to, like, they kind of have a core, right? Like, they have Flamekin Harbinger. They have the, the you know, uh, Solitude, Risen Reef package. Uh, they run the four-mana Omnath, the one that was banned in Standard that yeah. everybody remembers. That's, like, the, the big core, right? And then there's some other numbers of, like, cool targets yeah. for Flame Good Harbinger. You yeah. know, like, you have, like, a you have like an Endurance and some of the stuff like that in there. But then you get to the one that won this weekend, and this one went a little off the side, right? This is a little different than what we've seen. And this one had four Thunderkin Awakener. And for everybody at home that might not know this, this was, like, a, a random rare that was in M20. So this, this is a card that... Kind of slipped through maybe some people. I'm going to read it just in case people don't know what this is. It's it's one in a red for a 1-2 with haste. And it says, when it attacks, you can choose target elemental creature card in your graveyard with toughness less than Thunderkin Awakener's toughness. So anything with two or less, unless you pump its mouth. Return that card to the battlefield tapped and attacking. And you sacrifice it at the beginning of your next end step. So you're looking at cards like Flamekin Harbinger, right? Uh, this one has a lightning skill elemental in it. Uh, you're looking at Risen Reef. And it, it says equal to, right? Um, or is it tough, toughest less than? So it's everything less, of one. Yeah. Yes, it's everything of one. And then it has one other really cute one in Vesper Lark, which kind of lets you, you know, create this, like, kind of loop thing going on. And if you're putting in or already have a Risen Reef into play, this goes really far into your deck really quickly, right? And so you're, you're creating board states that are just out of hand. When you're doing this, because it's not hard to get some of these cards in your yard, because they're like they, they have these really cheap evoke, uh, these really cheap evoke costs, or you can just cast them and like people are gonna have to kill your stuff anyway, right? Like they can't just let your stuff sit around and stuff too. So this is a very like try to get you dead as quickly as possible version of this deck while also building up board states. 
Yeah, uh, I, I, and I think having that ability to get people dead a little bit faster is a good way to counter the decks that people are going to try to play that go over the top even further of elementals, which is the direction that I think you should be going. So I like it in that respect where you think, okay, people are going to maybe start targeting this deck. How can I prepare for that? I also think Thunderkin Awakener works well as just an insurance for your Risen Reef. For the most part, in this mat, in this against this deck, you just kill Risen Reef on sight. But when I play turn two Thunderkin Awakener, you basically have to kill that before you kill any Risen Reefs, unless you're exiling the Risen Reef for, with like a three mana Prismatic ending, which is not great either. Uh, so it, it ensures that you're going to keep Risen Reefs on the battlefield. Notably, Thunderkin Awakener has you sacrifice the creature at the beginning of the end step, so you just get to keep bringing it back mm-hmm. turn after turn, which is kind of nonsense. I can't believe the card is templated that way. Yeah, that's uh, really strange. It's usually not that way. Yeah, and uh, so and and then Vesper Lark, like not only working well with Awakener, is another like insurance to Risen Reef. Um, so the, the the build here from Dirk Seven One Four is like just a very good way of making sure that your key card is on the battlefield, that you're generating that card advantage as quickly and as uh, um, consistently as possible. So I really like the way that this list is built. Um, I know a lot of the other lists are playing things like Utopia Sprawl so that you just get to Risen Reef a little bit faster. Um, and then, uh, you know, maybe playing a little more interaction. You see Ren and Six, you see Teferi, you see some right. other different elementals. Here it's filled out with those, you know, uh, Tutor targets. You have the Lightning Skull Elemental. Spite Bellows is another removal spell that works really well with Thunderkin Awakener and Tangled Florahedron, which doesn't work well necessarily well with Awakener, but I actually think is a really cheeky card to find t- with turn one Flamekin Harbingers. So maybe you need that extra land drop, or maybe you just want to Harbinger for a piece of acceleration so that I can curve into turn three Omnath uh, and, and, you know, start hard casting Furies and Solitudes, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big fan of this deck. I like the list with Thunderkin Awakener. Um... I don't think you have to worry that much about people like bringing in graveyard hate against you if it's your really only graveyard care card. I guess Vesper Lark too. Uh, not that hard to you know dodge that, and you're pretty happy when people bring in just various pieces of marginal interaction against you because your engine is so powerful late game. Um, so the really like the, this is the new thing in modern. Um, it, it's really impressive how much we're seeing the metagame continue to churn over itself. Yeah. You know, we started with uh, everyone hyping Urza Saga and like 17 different Urza Saga decks and the food decks with Asmore being the the hotness, right? And now we just don't see those like at all. Yeah. Yeah. Then it got to Primeval Titan being actually the best um, Urza Saga deck and people starting to figure out Raghavan and and DRC decks uh, with like the Jeskai Stoneblade. Then, you know, the Rakdos deck happened. The, you know, we've seen the Primeval Titan and Asmore decks completely fall out of the meta game. We've seen Hammer rise up. We've seen Izzet rise. I guess Izzet rose up first after Rakdos and then Hammer to beat all the, the, the Raghavan decks. And now this is the next iteration of, of like beating up on Hammer and the, the mid-range decks. And it does a very good job of that. And honestly, like this is a deck that seems very exploitable, right? Like it's playing all to the battlefield. It is not killing that quickly. Um, you know, there's not a ton, there's not a ton of early pressure here. A lot of, you know, very small creatures and it doesn't have really a lot of interaction for things outside of killing creatures. Fury can do a little bit of killing planeswalkers as can Omnath. 
and then you're in, you have good gr- interaction with the graveyard in endurance, but you're not you know countering or di- or playing discard against um, against you know combo decks of any kind, and I think you're going to struggle with this deck against a lot of big mana strategies. Uh, and the question is like, how do you build a deck like that so that you have this good elementals matchup while still being able to beat the rest of the metagame? Because hammer. You know, even if it's bad against Elementals, isn't going anywhere. It's very powerful. Same with the Raghavan, Dragon's Rage, Channeler decks. So we're starting to see some people come up with ways to do that. Uh, one of the things that you saw in the challenge on Sunday was different Tron decks coming back. Eldorazi Tron and Monogreen Tron were the two finals decks in that uh, event. I'm not super big on either of those. I think they're too, both of them are, are too weak to like turn one Raghavan. So like, I agree with you there. I, it's just like, I kind of wanted to interrupt because, like, I 100% agree with you, and I can see why those decks are getting popular again and why they're playing them. And it's because of what you said, right? Like, you think Tron is like a natural evolution to going over the top of these things, right? Like, actual green Tron. And then uh, I, I think that there's a deck that doesn't get enough credit for how good it is in modern. And that's just the Rhinos deck, right? Like, the Teamer uh, Cascade deck. Everyone I know that's put in a lot of time with the deck and done, and like, actually playing it understanding its matchups they think overall it might actually be the best deck in modern like it has the best matchups across the board you get what i'm saying like it has enough whatever but it's one matchup where they're like yeah it's kind of rough is eldrazi tron because they just have a bunch of chalices main which is hard to beat especially game one and then their creatures are just like bigger than yours in a lot of spots i have a hard time believing that this the rhinos deck matches up well against elementals uh, I mean, it's it definitely can win, is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's it, you know, what I mean, like, I'm not saying it's great or whatever, but I'm saying across the board, apparently, it's just very good against like all the other decks. Yeah, it's just and a generically like powerful deck. Yeah, yeah, and like also, I, I don't know. Have you ever played the deck? Because I've actually played with it before. And played a little bit. It, I joked with it, it. It 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 felt good to me, and it felt kind of like Tron to me in the fact that your opening hands, like your average opening hand in that deck, I think is much higher than the average opening hands of most decks in modern and the meaning that like they're all just good you know what i mean like you only need one of like eight to twelve cards in your opening hand to be good all of them are really really flexible and then the decks that we're seeing do pretty dang well in modern right now are like being really efficient on mana right like you're seeing this elemental deck while it doesn't do uh a ton of stuff for super cheap it either does it either does stuff that eventually snowballs out of control or it does stuff for for free with all the with all the uh, the elementals, right? Or you see the you know the decks that have DRC and Ragavan doing stuff for super cheap. Or you see this deck, you know, you see the uh, the Rhinos deck where it's cheating mana, obviously with Cascade, and then all of its cards are super flexible, right? Like they're technically four drops or three drops, but you could play them as two drops. And then it also has the free cards. Like they've actually stopped playing Subtlety now, and they're playing Fury now because Fury is becoming such an important card in the format and taking care of these early creatures or removing an early, like, I think that was a big thing for them is to realize they need to be able to kill a Teferi, a three yeah. mana Teferi. And they were like, yeah, I just need to play fury because I need to be able to like stomp it and then, you know, kill it with, with fury or, or however it works out with the numbers. And that's what I think you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of these decks that are doing well as being super, super mana efficient in this format. And honestly, like, I kind of joked about it. My friends, I'm like, if you look at just like the top tier decks, the ones that are really, really good, this is starting to feel like legacy. Because like you're having the decks that are either preying on those decks specifically, or the really good decks are extremely, extremely mana efficient. 
They're doing stuff for free and one mana at all times. And that's what happens when we get this many cards, right? Yeah. No, I, I completely agree that it, it feels like Legacy from like 10 years ago or something. Yeah. And uh, the it's, you know, Unholy Heat, Dragon's Rage, Chandelier, and uh, Raghavan are the head of it. And it's created this critical mass of really cheap, efficient cards. And so you're put to the test a lot more often than you used to. It used to be that like the the big threat that you had to kill was like Dark Confidant, right? And so yeah. if you, you had to interact on turn two, now it's you have to interact on turn one. Yeah. Or things start, you know, you, you start falling pretty far behind to Raghavan attacks or, you know, they get ahead with Dragon's Rage Channeler and then Merc tied you and now you have two things you need to deal with and you can only deal with one and, and it just doesn't go well. And so what, what we saw was, you know, early ideas that was like the Asmore and Primeval Titan decks ended up falling prey to when we found the real world beaters of the format and it was the hyper-efficient Raghavan DRC decks that eventually took over. And now you're seeing the metagame churn based on the recognition that those decks are just really good and we have to adapt for them for the long term. And the metagame churn from there has been they try to be as efficient and aggressive as possible so that they can beat up on the inefficient decks, which were the Asmore decks and, and Primeval Titan. And now we're starting to see the metagame sort of creep up in that arms race where all the mid-range decks try to get a little bit bigger, just a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Um, and, uh, you know, Elementals is the first step of that. And we're going to, I predict that we're going to see more another step or two of that over the coming weeks. So I think you want to look at decks that are going even a little bit bigger while still having some good early interaction. So I actually like this second place deck from the Showcase Challenge, which is a, an iteration on the Indomitable Creativity deck. Yeah, I, lo- I was gonna uh, like I was looking for a way to segue into this, and you're talking about how like everything's been more efficient, everything's cheaper. I'm like, yeah, so let's move on to the deck that's got a 15 drop in it. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not we're not spending 15 mana for it. Hey, spending you, four you mana for an Emrakul is pretty efficient. Yeah, but yeah, it's extremely efficient, right? And you and I were talking about this. This is the the Indomitable Creativity deck that we've seen uh, like splashes of here or there, right? It was mostly with Velamachus earlier. Yep. in modern and they've kind of just cut that right like they're just being more efficient and doing one specific thing now so i i you used to see two velomachus in these decks and then four savor the moment four time warp right and you would just try to get four attacks in like can i can i hit three time walks usually like had a time walk in your hand because you have eight of them in your deck right yeah or and like so you would two go for and some burn spells or something yeah yeah, yeah right uh, um and so you just you know have that sort of combo but obviously, like, Velomachus is very vulnerable to just removal spells, especially as people were trying to Unholy put Terminates in their deck to, to kill uh, Merktide Regent. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, you missed and, and your deck was inconsistent because sometimes you just flooded on Time Walks that you couldn't really do much with. So, you know, then I saw them move to, like, just Time Warps, one Velomachus, one Emrakul. So you generally then try to set up a creativity for two, and Velomachus attack, hit a time walk, hit just the one time walk and Emrakul them, or you could just do it for one and like see what you hit or whatever. Um, and, and I finally seen them just transition and say, you know what, we're a fucking Emrakul deck. Like, yeah. it's, that's just the best thing to put into play. It has been, you know, for 15 years, uh, either the, either it or Gristlebrand, right? And uh, really lean into that, and that frees up so much deck space to be able to play more interaction and make your deck more consistent. So I I would say based on what I know about the list, they have cut they've they have one creature slot right that they've opened up and eight time walk slots and it looks like they are playing four hard evidence, two Nahiri, a shark typhoon, and like two maybe a, like one more each of the Teferi and Renin six maybe they used to play three each of those 
Uh, maybe they, you can cut down on counter spells. But that, you know, hard evidence gives you another enabler for creativity. It's uh, read one, that card real quick for everybody at home, just in case. In case. Uh, this is from um, the MH2. Mo- it's from MH2. One blue sorcery, create an O3 blue crab creature token, investigate. So you're getting both a creature and an artifact for creativity. So if they kill the crab, then you still have the artifact for it. They can't break that up. Um, you know, and the O3 just blocks Raghavan and early DRCs. So it plays good early defense in all of those matchups. Uh, also very good against like Goblin Guide in a burn matchup because we saw burn pop up again this week. That's another like deck that can ignore elementals. Omnath is a problem, but if you can figure out how to not lose to Omnath, um, that then you're in good shape. So Hard Evans just seems like a solid card in this metagame because the O3 body is quite relevant on turn one. We get a couple of Nahiris, which serve multiple purposes. One, they can be additional copies, essentially, of Indomitable Creativity. And you can just play, like, the old Jeskai Control deck that used to yeah. just, you know, slam Nahiri and plus an ultimate for the Emrakul. Uh, it also is your way of pitching the Emrakul if you happen to draw it. Uh, you, you do have Prismarine Command of doing that. So it's additional way to do that. Um, the one Shark Typhoon is sort of like your alternate win condition. It can also be an end-step creature for Creativity on turn three. Uh, so it works pretty well. I really like that as a singleton. Um, and, and so all of these things are just supplementing the rest of the deck, making you that much more consistent, that much more resilient. Because if your opponent breaks it up, you know, early, you can reload or, you know, have another bullet in the chamber pretty quickly. Um, so I, I, I think this is a, you know, level up for the archetype. I think the archetype is quite good because it has that combo control aspect to it where your opponent wants to play you like your control deck. But if they try to do that too much, they just give you infinite time to set up your combo. You can protect it with Teferi. You know, if you if, if you get to like turn seven and just play Teferi plus pass the turn, now you're at you know uh, end step uh, creativity for one, and they can't even respond. And you've got an Emrakul that's attacking them. So uh, I'm I'm pretty into this. I think this deck is a very uh, you know uh, it meets my criteria, which is. Deck that has plenty of early interaction, so it doesn't fall behind to Hammer and Raghavan, but deck that also goes over the top of what Risen Reef is doing. So it can ignore Risen Reef effectively or even kill it. This deck has tons of early interaction, you know, four Bolt, four Hard Evidence to play defense, four Ren and Six, four Prismatic Ending. So we're talking about 12 pieces of one-mana interaction, essentially, for opposing creatures. Then some Counterspells, some Prismatic Mans, Teferis, and Ren and Sixes. Like, that's a ridiculous amount of interaction, because this is just a control deck. And I, and I didn't even count Nahiri's minus two. So th- this deck, I think, is a very good choice moving forward. Um, I would also look at the 18th place list from this event, which is the Bring Delight Scapeshift deck. Um, and, uh, you know, another deck that has lots of early interaction, a little bit less than the uh, the Creativity deck, because you've got this whole ramp engine with Dryad and, and Bring Delight, but still plenty. I've seen uh, Dom Harvey, you know, post about four on a prelim with a build of this deck. He cut Chalice of the Void and was playing Fire Ice. I think I kind of like that. Um, Another uh, card that's really, really unheralded in how yeah. good it's actually been in the format. Every time I've seen people play with it, it's been good. It's just yeah. a good card. Uh, so much versatility to it. But this is just yet another deck that, like, you know, interacts early and then has this really robust end game that is going to trump whatever Ren- uh, Risen Reef and Friends are doing. So those are the two decks I would really look at, and I did write about. This is what my article was about this week, so I'm just mm-hmm. parroting, you know, the things I wrote sure. about. If you want more in-depth uh, analysis to that effect, you can uh, you can read that article. 
And yeah, I'm actually a really big fan of the second place list here as well. Um, it's on the short list. I'm playing a team trios tournament this weekend, and it's on the short list of like what we're going to play in modern. We're trying to figure out. We're between elementals, this, and uh, the rhinos deck. And uh, the player has played a lot of rhinos and hasn't lost very much with it. It's just, he, he, you know, we're concerned about what the metagame is going to look like. Yeah, like, at the, at the, it, this is a paper event you're playing. Yeah, yeah. You you always have to be wary when you're playing paper events because the online metagame moves so much so much faster. So you're just like, how how far behind is this paper metagame going to be? And I think there's going to be like a decent bit of hammer and some like aggressive decks. And I'm like, I kind of just want to play elementals because like you just clog up clog up the board and then put an omnath in play, and it's really hard for them to win at that point, you know. It's also, but yeah, like looking at this deck, I like it a lot, right? Like the uh, the early cheap. Um, Planeswalkers, which seem to be the only Planeswalkers that are really, really playable in Modern right now, and that's Teferi and Renin Six. They're both very good. Yeah, The, the um, other ones are just too vulnerable to Unholy Heat. Like, you, you invest way too many resources casting them and don't get enough out of it in that trade. Exactly. And there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in this deck, too. Like, I, one of the things I wanted to talk about, like, you know, you talk about all the cards in here and how they have, like, double and, and triple meanings in the deck. You know, like, they, they work so many different ways, which is the kind of deck that I like, is... I think we're getting to the point, especially with where Modern is right now, and we're starting to see that Prismari Command is actually just very, very, very good. And I think it's very good in in Modern right the second, which, for people at home, if you might not know all four modes since it's kind of new, it's two damage any target, uh, draw two, discard two, target player creates a treasure token, and destroy target artifact, right? So this is pretty sweet in the fact that uh, it does a lot of a lot of like double lifting here, because... It can protect you a little bit early in the game by, like, shocking something and shattering something. Like, the, the old Kologon's Command 2-for-1, right? Against, like, if your opponent's playing Stoneforge Mystic or whatever, you're like, kill, or, like, Hammer. You're like, kill that thing, kill that thing, right? Still pretty good. If you're just trying to find pieces for your combo stuff, you've got the draw two, discard two. Like, another way to get Emrakul uh, out of your hand and back into your deck, like you said, which is super important in this deck. And then giving yourself a treasure token is really big, too, because it gives you that extra target for Indomitable Creativity. Or it could be the third source of red. If, like, you know, you don't randomly... Because, like, here's the thing. Almost all your lands produce red in this deck. But, you know, weird stuff happens, right? And stuff like that. Um, also, there's, like, the little bitty things in here, too. Like, you have a couple Triomes in this deck that can go long of Renin Six. You know, in the games, they get drawn out. Um, I was playing this deck with a friend the other day. And I think that some of the lines in this are, like, not intuitive. And, like, you need to play with it quite a bit to kind of get it and, like, what you can do. Because um, I'm a big fan of the counter spells in this deck because it doesn't actually have a hard counter spell in the deck main. It has two delay and two remand, but these are good enough because most of the time you're just trying to force something through in the matchup where you want it to be. I imagine they would be counter spells, but with the dwarven mind mana base, you just can't consistently cast blue blue. Right. That that's a big thing. And I, what I meant by the fact that it's not counter spell, the fact that like it doesn't necessarily always stop what your opponent's doing. It stops it for the turn you need it to stop because you're killing them, right? Yeah. You know, you're just trying to force through one thing. Also, I've delayed my own spells in this deck. And, in response you know, to their counters? Yeah, like you play something and they're like, all right, you know, respond to this thing and you're like, okay, delay it. It's coming back in like two or three turns. Kind of like when you remand your own spell or something back in the day too. Like yeah. there's, there's, some, there's some stuff you can do there because half the time, when you're playing a spell and they're and they're like and they're stopping your thing, it's it's better to remand your own spell or whatever. You know, you get to draw a card, especially if they're doing something like uh, cryptic commanding your spell. That was like that was a very common play in modern. You know, seven years ago when there's a lot more uh, fighting on the stack was going on. 
uh, for for y'all that may not have played a remand uh, when twin was legal <laughs> yeah when twin was legal or remanding your own stuff that was that, i can't tell you how many times when i was playing like paper magic and i would put a spell in the stack and my opponent would like cryptic command it or whatever and like i would tap two mana and put in like you know start to play remand and they'd go to pick up their spell and i'm like no 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 my i'm targeting my that's spell. going to the graveyard <laughs> that's going to the graveyard and not resolving buddy <laughs> like you know and so lots of really cool stuff to go on there Keep, it, keep in mind that delay also synergizes quite well with Teferi. So if you have Teferi on the battlefield and it goes to on suspend, you're just going to get the actual counter spell from it. I think these lists used to display four remand, so going to the two-two split is new. I kind of like delay because of the synergy with Teferi. I also think remand is in a, a pretty weak spot right now. Um, so I'd be interested in moving the split even further to delay, or maybe even trimming on, on total counter spells. Um, but I agree with you, like, Prismari Command is very good right now. It's, it's it's just a similar card to me to to Cryptic Command. And in particular, this deck takes very good advantage of the looting ability. Um, you know, the, most decks that play Culligan's Command take very good advantage of the raised dead ability. It's a little bit harder to do that with the looting ability of Prismari Command, but this deck certainly takes full advantage of it. And we're in a metagame with Colossus Hammer around where the, the Shatter mode is really good, which has always been the determining factor in how good Culligan's Command is, right? Like is it, if the it, artifact removal is relevant. Yes, exactly. So, uh, you know, that's the case now. So it's just a good card while also just being a very good card in the deck as a proactive piece. So honestly, like th this main deck, with the exception of maybe playing with that those counterspell numbers, looks great to me. Like, yeah, I, like, I'm not sure I would change a card. Also, this is, this is another spot where, like, in these kind of decks, uh, cards like Prismari Command, you know, the ones that are, like, draw to, discard to, have always kind of got on my nerves in general in the effect of magic because, like, yeah, I get it. You want to dig deeper into your deck, right? But a lot of the times, there's some spots where when you're drawing two and you have to discard two, you're put into almost the same spot beforehand because you're like, well, I need lands and spells, right? Or I need this and that. I'm not looking for, like, one thing specifically. But with cards like Renin Six in your deck, it just makes Prismari Pants so much better because you can just, like, discard your Dwarven Mine, right? Or you can just discard your, uh, you know, your Triome. There's a, there's a couple different ones in here. And then get it back of running six and play it if you need it, or you know just keep extra cards in your hand. So like, it's not actually card disadvantage in this deck like it is in a lot of spots. Um. Well, yeah. Well, you depending upon what, I mean. what like you do with the other two. mode, it, it yeah. still is, but it's not detrimental because you're up so many cards with Renin six, and the issue there being that there's diminishing returns on the cards that Renin six is giving you since they're all lands, uh, unless you get it going with a Triome. And so now you get to convert, you effectively just get to spend some time converting those cards into real material, which is a valuable thing to do. So, yeah, that, that synergy is another important aspect of Prismari Command. The one yeah. thing I will say I, I miss from the, uh, the Time Walk version of this deck is that you could just win without ever casting creativity and putting Velomachus into play by, by ultimating Renin Six with a Time Warp. Uh, and like oh, build, yeah. building okay. towards that was just a legitimate way to win the game, especially if your opponent was playing like hyper conservatively to stop your creativity. You you can just sit there like pump up Ren and six and and even use time warp to like get there. So they might think they have more time. Finally, tap out for a threat. And you're just like, okay, that that's fine. Plus my Ren and six time warp. Plus my Ren and six time warp. You're dead. I guess you could technically. Um, I guess you could technically just bolt them to death. With yeah, uh, I mean, with lightning ult bolt, ultimating is yeah, still still or, very good. Don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. Or this this is a deck, and like I get I get all the modes and like why you want to use it early. This is a deck where in some matchups you might actually like depending on the way the matchup goes and what they've done and how they're trying to beat you. Like if they bring in you know a, like they have a way to make you uh, like Emrakul get exiled, 
because I've seen that happen before in games where you might be hard casting Shark Typhoon. So, you know, Twitch chat gets really happy because they always want Shark Typhoon to be hard cast. And, you know, this is this is a matchup where, like, because here's the thing. As, as powerful as Teferi is, it can't win a game, right? You know, like, Nahiri possibly can if you still have the Emrakul in your deck, but you only have that one target. Ridden 6 can win a game, right? But, like, there's only, what, like, six cards in the deck that, or, like, le well, actually, less than that. There's, like, four cards in the deck that technically, uh, six cards in the deck that technically win the game. I bet people have won games with by attacking with dwarfs. Yeah, I, like if you could just co yeah, if you could control the board, that is a thing too. If you have red and six in play, you can prismatic ending over and over and over again and just attack them for one or two. Because here's the thing: you can you can uh, you can get multiple dwarves in play off these dwarven mines. You can get two or three of them in play and start just going to town. Yeah, with these little one yeah. ones. So I think this deck is actually really cool. I think it works really well in today's metagame that's going on in modern right now. Um, I'd be a little worried if people start going really big to beat the metagame because, like, I, I can see this having a decent enough Tron matchup that that might not be a nightmare matchup because Reman, Delay go pretty far. Uh, Prismari Command can actually, you know, do a few things in that matchup. But if it's, like, game one and you draw, like, the hard evidence lightning bolt draw, like, you're just dead. Yeah. Well, I think if those decks come back in the metagame, you just figure out what decks are declining trim some of your main deck interaction that's good against those decks you know maybe cut down on bolts or prismatic endings because you don't need as much one mana removal and you just play more counter spells in your deck so you can adjust i think pretty easily to beat them even if this list right now is not particularly well set up to beat them because it doesn't have to be but that's it, not a difficult adjustment to make should those kinds of big mana decks return my one concern is actually um the fact that emrakul is so vulnerable to solitude so the like the elementals deck has an out. You know you can you can set it up with Teferi or that's what I was talking about earlier. You know, like we've seen you know, it get exiled yeah, game one. Yeah, have have enough have enough mana up to be able to counter it or something. But if you look in the sideboard, that's your answer. This one of Sarah's emissary, which basically shuts elementals down. And so now, as long as you just set up a creativity for two, you'll get both emissary and Emrakul, and then they're just dead. Yeah, so, so that's a really cool one. Or, yeah, really really cool sideboard card. Yeah, it's uh, four white, white, white. It's a 7-7 seven, seven flyer. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you choose a card type. And then you and creatures you control have protection from the card type. So against, like, elementals, you just say creature. Like, they're just, like, they can't actually interact with you anymore. The, the game is over. Yeah, the game is over. Um, I, yeah, I think this I think this sideboard is really cool, too. Um, Aether Gust is a card that, like, I've seen maybe kind of, like, losing a little bit of its of its luster, you know, with the Primeval Titan not really being as big and stuff, but like maybe there's other reasons this card is in there just to kind of like buy some time. I think Flusterstorm really shines in a deck like this. Yeah, things like that. You know, you have like Alpine Moon for certain matchups. Uh Mystical Dispute, yet another like one mana like your counter spells in this deck are so much more efficient than what other people are doing with, you know, charm and cryptic command and actual factual counter spell. That, you know, these are just, like, way, way cheaper. You have some Shattering Sprees and some Rest in Peace to kind of just, like, round everything out. And, like, honestly, this is my pick for if you want to play something a little off-meta, right? Like, if you want to play, like, not one of the two or three most played decks and you still want to be competitive but you want to do something cool, this is my pick. I think this deck is great. It's super fun. And I think it's awesome that Indomitable Creativity has become, like, this actual thing. Uh, it kind of got, like... It kind of got like backdoor shoehorned into formats when um, was it magma 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 opus got printed. We we're trying to figure out ways to make that happen as quickly as possible. People were like, "Oh, you can gear hulk it out of the graveyard," and they were like, "Well, what if we just indomitable creativity or gear hulks into play super fast?" And people were like, "Wait, 
why aren't we why are we doing this kind of reactionary stuff why aren't we trying to kill people you know why are we trying always to always try to kill people yeah always please quote always me be out of context mm-hmm. yeah and so and like you said there's even like the cool stuff of like have you have you gotten to teferi plus one and then prismatic ending something yet at like instant speed or whatever uh yes yeah the teferi plus one being super relevant now in yeah. in modern i think it's like the most relevant it's ever been opponent dashes a Raghavan, and you're just like before blocks hard evidence block <laughs> yeah ladies and gentlemen we got we him. got him yeah it's just like there's some really cool stuff that's going on in here so uh the, the more i talk about this deck the more i get i think you can kind of hear it i'm a little excited about it and I, I like this deck quite a bit so i think it's really cool i think it's something you should definitely look out for but if you're playing any modern like i am this weekend which i'm playing legacy from our team but you know what i mean if you're if you're playing an event, you're playing online, like whatever whatever's going on, please be careful for one, two, uh, have elementals in mind and have this deck a little bit in mind too. Uh, this is one that I think is going to start making maybe a little bit more of a splash in the future. I think having the surprise factor of it go away probably takes a little bit out of it when people just like kind of know your deck list. I think that's a you know what I mean. They because here's the thing: the first time this deck does well in a tournament when you're playing against this, you're not really sure of their range every turn, right? You don't know every little thing that can happen. And now, you know, you and I have talked about this deck for 20 minutes now, so, like, we kind of know what's going to happen most of the time. You know, that, that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I was about to say, was there anything else in this, in this top eight that you wanted to kind of talk about? Like, the, the rest of the decks are kind of, like, what we expected, but there's still some cool stuff. Yeah, we uh, mentioned the Return of Burn. We're seeing, like, the different Raghavan, you know, DRC decks that you're always going to see. Uh, you know, Hammer didn't do that well, but it's still around. Um, I mentioned the the Scapeshift deck, which is, you know, to me right up there with the Creativity deck. I, I have them pretty close to each other. Um, yeah, like that. that's basically what Modern is right now. Like the 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 base of the format is is these, still these mid-range decks. The, the Is It Merktides, the, the Rakdos mid-ranges. And that's like, everything is sort of rotating around them. Um, and it, like the, if you're, if you're the person who's playing one of those decks, then you've got to be on the pulse of the metagame every week, be changing your list every week, uh, and, and keep up with those things. Like right now, like you maybe do you want like more discard spells than you, than you had before? Probably. Like if you were playing five or six, you probably want to go up to six or seven, uh, things like that. Like, you know, you, you don't need to make gigantic changes. It's like, it, you know, everything, the changes you make are going to be just the fine tune adjustments that make sure that you're optimized for the 20% change in the metagame that happens week to week. So, um, it, it's, I'm, I'm pretty happy when, you know, we're what, almost two months into Modern Horizons 2, a month and a half. And, Things have not gotten stale at all. We haven't had a Hogak summer. And, you know, instead we've seen decks rise and fall, and we're continuing to see decks, new decks rise. So uh, really, really cool to see that happen. It seems like we're still not done exploring the full effect of Modern Horizons 2, and uh, we're, we're going to get, you know, even more good times over a month that is usually, you know, August is usually a month where nothing happens in Magic. Instead, we're seeing some pretty cool stuff go down. Yeah, and... Before I transition real, real quick, I was going to say, I feel like this is the best Modern's been in quite a while for me. Like, you know, a lot of cool things going on. Uh, MH2 did what they wanted it to do. You know, it really affected the format. Uh, maybe some of these cards might have been a little too good. You know, all of them being the same color. All the good one drop, one mana spells are all the same color in the format besides the light card. But, like, honestly, I think this is pretty cool. And we're seeing, like you said, we're seeing diversity, right? We're seeing simple little effects like, you know... This is the best deck. This is the best deck. 
I can't remember a show where we've had a show like two in a row where like, yeah, this is just the best deck in modern. This is what you should like, you know, last on the last one, if we had to give a full endorsement, it would have been play hammer time. Now, if I would give you my full endorsement, I'm like play elementals, you know, like, or play one of these cool decks, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's great. Speaking of cool things that are happening. I'll, uh, I'll, I will say there's, there's one downside here, Tian. Yeah, go ahead. And it's that, you know, part of the appeal of modern, and this has been true for years is that it's the format where you can like, you know, build your deck and it's your deck and it's going to be playable for years. And Modern built up, you know, that reputation and it also built up a stable of those kinds of decks. And a lot of those classic Modern archetypes are either dead or completely unrecognizable if you were to compare them to their predecessors from five years ago. Yeah, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it, it is bad for people that had invested in those decks and I, like, no, I agree there. Of them and everything. So it, it's... Yeah, give like, or take. It's nice that everything is fresh and cool, and we're seeing a really dynamic metagame, but it has not come without cost. Mm-hmm. So, one really cool thing. So, we had another topic that we were talking about today, but I'm actually going to interject with a new one because something live just happened. Uh, we just got about five or six preview cards for Innistrad. Yes, oh, I know. I know. Uh, I have them up already, so don't worry okay, about it. I'm, gonna... I'm not even going to look at them. You can just read them off to me. They're really fucking good, by the way, real quick. But oh. anyway, uh, the first two that I've read so far, I'm a huge fan of already. Anyway, um, and yeah, so this is, like we said, uh, Thursday afternoon. So the historic, was it Historic Anthology, whatever it was called? Historic Horizons? Whatever the 800-card set or whatever yeah. it's coming out? Literally stopped getting previews yesterday. And here we already got the new set, but... We already have I, that in- entire 800 thing. Whatever, yeah, because uh, yeah, all of it's up. I think people are just waiting for it all to be like condensed into one thing. Because Jim Davis is talking about doing his, you know, preview yeah. where he. I didn't does even every know that card. preview season had started. Yeah, they're done. So, <laughs> um, so I'm gonna go ahead and just lead off with a complete banger because I think this card is very, very good. Uh, I said this is gonna be you know standard legal, but this is a card that I think is gonna have implications in modern, depending on you know if decks are playable or not. The first card is that. Uh, that got previewed is called Infernal Grasp. It's one in a black. It's an instant. Destroy target creature. You lose two life. N- no drawback. Besides, I mean, obviously the two life, but like no conditional creature removal for two mana. You just lose two life. So just a good, like just the, the, the best Doom Blade ever printed, especially if you can actually make it relevant for you losing two life. You know, if you're, I'm thinking of you, Death Shadow. I'm thinking of you, uh, all the other cards that, you know, do stuff like that or when you take damage and stuff so this is an interesting card for sure and i can see this one being very impactful on standard and possibly in modern if death shadow comes back i think this is a card that you're not going to see in high numbers i think you're going to see right. in small numbers that rounds out because of it, uh, your removal package because of its versatility but you don't really want to flood on this card because it, it costs two mana which is a lot for a removal spell in modern these days um, and you don't want to flood on it in standard because the life loss ends up being a problem in a lot of matchups, especially aggro matchups where you mainly need creature removal. So I like this as like the one or two of that ensures that you have outs to everything that you need to have outs to, uh, but you don't want to see a ton of them in any given game. Like this, this just, you know, if you're, if you're playing in a metagame where you're playing, you know, Death Shadow or something like that and Merc Tide is a card, you're like playing, um, what do you call it for? Terminate for? Like this just seems like an upgrade in a lot of spots for me so definitely agree with you everything this is not like a instant four of you know because like the decks would want four of this are generally like control decks you probably don't want to be shocking yourself all the time speaking of shock 
uh, we just got a better shock for, for infinitely in this set. This the next card is called uh, Play with Fire. It's a one red mana instant. Uh, it deals two damage to any target, Ross. But if a player was dealt damage this way, scry one. I like this card a lot. If, I wish y'all could see Ross's reactions right now. He's like going through the whole. It, it's like almost like you're going through. I know he's not at the stages of grief, but you know, like I mean, the stages of like anger, grief, acceptance. Like you're going through all of the things whenever you see or hear about a new card. I just I, like this card a lot. Yeah, I'm just thinking like you. Know, is this card good enough for modern burn? I and that's that's where I was going with it. Is is this good enough to play in burn? Because like. It still kills all the creatures that are relevant in the format, right? All the small creatures. But it gives you that extra added thing where you're like, you know, you're digging for those last few pieces to kill them. You're like, all right, shock you, scry, you know, bottom. That's that's a big win. Yeah. You, know, you get the bottom of land. My initial instinct is yes. Like, I think this might be a card that finally just pushes Riftable entirely out of the deck. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see like, that. Drawing Riftable always sucks. Sometimes you it gets, like, ferried and you're just like, oh, my God, I hate my yeah. life. Yeah, uh, and things like that. So I, I honestly think this card is good enough. I think Scry One is generally worth more than the third point of damage. Um, I yeah, I think you could see red decks and standard move away from being snow decks because they have this card instead of Frostbite and Den of the Bugbear, uh, instead of um, of uh, oh the the, the creature like the snow faceless. Yeah. yeah. So no, yeah, this card is just good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this card is very, 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 very good. Um, the next one here, this is a cool callback. I love when they have callbacks. This is the new Innistrad set, if I didn't say that. This is a cool callback to the original Innistrad. This is Champion of the Perished. Not Perished. Oh, God. It's perished. black. It's black. Yeah, so it's one black mana for a creature zombie. It's a 1-1. One, one. Whenever another zombie enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Champion of the Perished. So it's literally Champion of the Perished, but for zombies. So it's black and it grows for zombies, which we're going to get in this set and possibly the next one. I think this card's cool. I mean, like, I, you know, we'll see how good it's going to be in standard. There's a chance it's going to be in a standard deck or whatever. But, uh, and I mean, there is some changelings as well if you want to make like a, a zombie aggro deck kind of thing. But these are the kind of these are the kind of one drops that if it has enough support are good enough to be, you know, uh, f format warping in, in, in like aggressive decks and stuff. Yeah, no, uh, and uh, no, I'm, I'm gonna have to look, like, I will certainly be doing some, you know, scryfall searches for zombies in different formats, uh, and we'll see. I'll see what I can do. Uh, next card that gets previewed, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, tease a little bit of it because it has one of my favorite mechanics ever making a comeback. Uh, flashback. I'm a huge fan of flashback. Always have been. Um, I just really wish we still got the tombstone up by the name yeah, yeah. that we had on the original ones. So this one's called Join the Dance. It's a green-white sorcery. Create two 1-1 one, one white human creature tokens. Flashback, three green-white. So good limited card. Might show up in a deck somewhere where you just, you know, you want to go wide. You're making tokens. Humans might matter. That kind of stuff. And it just gives you some value late in the game. Uh, my inkling... I, I could see it in like a Pioneer Humans deck, maybe. Mm -hmm. hmm, definitely. Uh, otherwise, think... yeah, more of a limited card. Yeah, and then there's they showed us the basic lands, and there's one more card, and I'm going to try to get the... Give me one second on the pronunciation of this name. All right. Uh, it's Triska Decophile. So it's like the reference to the 13. To Triska Decophobia, which was also yeah. in Innistrad, so it's another... another yes. Yeah, twist. Okay. Okay. So it's one and a blue for a creature human wizard. It's a 1-3, obviously. Ross, it's obviously a 1-3. Um, 
you have no maximum hand size. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have exactly 13 cards in your hand, you win the game. So this is a you win the game card. It has one more ability. Three and a blue, draw a card. So maybe not, you know, constructed. I can see someone winning a game with this unlimited. This seems like a cool commander card. I'll tell you that. I know you're not a big commander guy, but this seems like right up commander players' alleys. I mean, we've seen Azure Mage in standard sideboards before. And this is probably better than Azure Mage on average. Uh, I'm actually going to, in a way, I'm going to disagree with you because a 2 1 is definitely way better than a 1 3 where the body's more relevant. But. I guess you know, maybe in, in the ma- in the matchups where you're generally bringing those in, which is like in control mirrors where you want a cheap threat, you'd rather have the extra power. Uh, that's probably true, but yeah, I, I doubt this one sees constructive play. But whatever, it's like people will go nuts about thirteen. Yep, and uh, apparently, I think the first one is cr- is Innistrad Crimson Vow, and that's going to be released on Arena and Magic Online in November 11th. The pre-release week will be the 12th through the 18th. And the actual release date will be November 19th, yeah. the day before my birthday. they're doing two small Innistrad sets, right? So they just announced yeah. the info for the other one? Um, yeah, it's the other one's name. Hold on, it was like right yeah. here. The, I'm sure preview season Val. four, it starts in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, Innistrad, Innistrad Midnight Hunt. So is Midnight Hunt coming first? Is that what's yes. going on? Did I get the... Where's the date for Midnight Hunt? Okay, here it's we go. Here we go. Midnight Hunt October. is... Okay. Oh, they're they're extremely quickly. So the, the release on Arena for Midnight Hunt is 16th. Of September? Of September. Oh, that's early. So we're talking about, like, in a month. You know, a month yeah. and a week. Uh, pre-release is going to be 17th through the 23rd. The actual release date is September 24th. Uh, Commander Party Events. I don't know what that means. I'm sure your local store does. That's October 30th to 31st. Um, they're going to have draft set, collector, and theme boosters. Uh, there's going to be pre-release packs, bundles, and Commander decks. Uh, there's going to be two Commander decks that come along with this. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm excited about this, Ross, and not just because it's new cards. Like, I'm usually excited about that. Innistrad is my favorite set of all time. Uh, the second one will be coming out the day before my birthday, so I'm extremely excited about that. Um, I don't know. I I think it was the set itself, not anything about the theme, et cetera, et cetera, but just original Innistrad is probably my favorite draft format of all time, and it's not re- remotely close, I don't think. Yeah, tr- triple Innistrad. Yeah, I was gonna say definitely one of my favorite favorite formats, uh, and, and that's one that actually holds up. Oh yeah, yeah, it is still fun to this day. Though when, when they did flashback drafts, there were way too many people trying to draft spider spawning. There's just so much of a mystique built around that archetype now, and like it wasn't, it was not an archetype that like you could get every time, and it certainly is not an archetype that could support two drafters at every given table. So like the bread and butter of that format was the travel prep deck, the you know. Uh, like Rakt- I thought Rakdos Aggro was good. Um, white was a strong color that that kind of pa- I let, sort of blue white spirits could be a thing. Um, Demir Control I think was good but overrated. And then there were a lot of kooky is it decks like Burning Vengeance and stuff like that. Like there was a lot of different stuff going on in that format. So um, yeah, uh, you know, big shoes to fill. Returning to Innistrad. This is, yeah, this is the first time we've we've gone back right. Yeah, as far as I'm going back to that, it looks like there's going to be some really cool full art lands. Also, I'm trying to make sure this is correct and not a joke, but it seems like it's not a joke because this does have the D&D symbol, it looks like. Or no, 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 I'm sorry. There's another card that got previewed today, and it's a mythic. And this is pretty cool. It does have the new uh, Innistrad set symbol. This is not a joke. I'm repeating, this is not a joke. The card's name is Renin7. 
Okay. It's a uh, green Planeswalker. So it's three green green for legendary Planeswalker Ren. It has four abilities, Ross. I haven't read any of them yet. So we're going we're gonna to figure this one out together. But Starting loyalty? Five. So five for five and uh, four, four abilities. All right. Plus one. Reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all land cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. So it's okay. mulch. Plus one mulch. Yeah, so it's mulch. Zero. Put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. Okay. C- keep okay. in mind that mulch was also in the original Innistrad, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. another callback. Yeah. Minus three, uh, create a green tree folk creature token with reach, and this creature's power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. Okay. And then it has a minus eight. Return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You can emblem with you have no maximum hand size. So you can presumably minus three, leave it on two loyalty, and have a five five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then next turn, you get to start digging for lands or do some ramping. Um, otherwise you're just like finding lands and ramping even further does not strike me as particularly good but I hope that there is a sort of life in the loamy kind of engine ramp deck that happens because that would be cool Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll see like I imagine there's some other pieces that like work with this card in this set yeah, uh, I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be something cool flashback is also in the set so like yeah. you know it's in a flashback enabler um it does look like we're getting full art lands that look more like the newer unlands where you like you kind of have like the frame and then everything's going through the frame but it looks like and this is because i keep seeing it on twitter and a lot of stuff it looks like they're almost in black and white but the f- the frame that says like you know the name plains island river are colored so it's like green a reddish one for mountains, swamps has like a purplish, islands have a blue, and then the planes just look like it's pure black and white. So that's actually kind of cool, but it's going to be really hard. I'm not going to like this in multicolored decks when people have all these lands because they all look kind of the same to me and you look at them very quickly. I mean, it's literally be like, what mana do you have kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never been big on full art lands anyway, so I've got all my basic lands that I want and need. I'm good to go. Uh-oh, Tannin's going nuts again. Uh, so another preview card just came up, and um, we've got another one-mana cantrip. Coming into Pioneer, coming into Standard. Um, the card is called Consider. It's one blue instant. Uh, look at the top card of your library. You may put it into your graveyard. Draw a card. So just surveil one, draw a card. Yeah. Uh, Ro- I-, I reacted appropriately for seeing the card for the first time, Ross, I think. This is great. Like the live edition of the show. Um, I'm loving this. Um, I like this card a lot. It's not Thought Scour, but we can't give people Thought Scour, I don't think. But holy crap. I think that card's actually pretty good. Yep. That card's busted. Yeah. I mean, like. Well, I would not play this individually, go- but as just another cantrip, like. Yeah, as another cantrip, um, I think this is going to be good in, hist- in, uh, in Historic and in, and in Pioneer. You know, your Phoenix decks get a little bit better. Um, you know, it gives you like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's just, if, if you have a reason to put stuff into the graveyard in your deck, like you have flashback, you have Arclight Phoenix, anything like that. I think this card is just better than opt, right? Yeah. Like it's just, it's just a pure upgrade to opt. And so, um, and then you could also just run opt in your deck as well. Uh, I, I'm going to, the original Innistrad was also very powerful, Ross. You know, you think about the rares and mythics. And so I'm wondering if we're going to get a powerful set here since we just got a couple of duds 
And if they balance it correctly, I think we could have another really good standard because I actually really enjoyed Innistrad standards. I thought, the, I thought the decks were cool and fun and interactive. Yeah, Ross, you seem, you seem kind of... Uh, well, if this set is busted, then we're just going to have another year of it dominating and all the sets that were released this past year are just going to be shit for two years straight. They're just going to be like, oh, Throne's way better and Innistrad's way better. We just suck. Yeah, well, I mean... I don't know, maybe I'm getting a little too excited or whatever, but... Well, I mean, you love playing with cheap cantrips, and you love Innistrad, so they're giving you something that you want. This set is me, Ross, okay? They're giving me everything I want so far. I mean, people are already playing Arclight Phoenix and Pioneer right now, and now, and I'm gonna have to... Mm. Oof, I'm getting a little... I'm, I'm getting a little excited, too. I, I'm know? getting a little... Ross, it's getting a little hot in here. Yeah, I, I you know... I, I also like playing with cheap cantrips, so... Yeah, I'm trying to scroll through Twitter a little bit more. I know we're kind of, like going maybe not off the rails here the show is the right way to say it, but i'm trying to make sure that we get everything you know all the stuff that's popping up immediately so we can kind of have the reaction on the show and not be a week behind also you know keep in mind that we do have um we do have the whole psych uh, like the mechanic um that whenever you cast or copy an instant of sorcery they trigger what was it what was it called um magecraft yeah magecraft so cheap cantrip's good there, though I do think Opt is rotating out of standard because it's in M twenty one. No, it was so, in Strixhaven, right? Is or is it, it only is it only in as a? Uh, yeah, it was, it was in it was in the Mystical Archive. I thought it was like maybe actually in the set, but I could be wrong. I'm, but yeah, I'm, maybe I'm Opt looking is at its Scryfall out. page. It's saying Strixhaven okay. Mystical Archive a bunch of times, okay. Secret Lair Drop, and then Core Set twenty twenty one and Throne. And that makes sense if they're going to have Consider. Yeah, I, I can't imagine consider. they give us both in a standard environment. But this does mean that you've effectively got eight ops in Pioneer, and you know we were worried about that when. Uh, yeah, two years I don't ago. think you can. Yeah, I don't think you can give us opt and consider in standard right now when we have uh, the Demi Lich that just got printed as well. Yeah, like that would be. And so here's the thing: if we get good dual lands in this set, you might be able to put together like a red blue Demi Lich uh, deck because you could just put Demi Lich in your yard off this card. Off your deck and like do some stuff there. Uh, I think there's some other possible recursive threats. I, I'm gonna have to do a gatherer search in standard and see see what's going on here because if you see one card that's doing this, that's surveilling, you know, whatever you want to call it, this is gonna be a theme in the set. You know, we saw the planeswalkers doing it. We're seeing flashback cards. They're gonna give you synergies for this kind of stuff. So if they balance this out well, I think this this is a chance to be really good. <laughs> I am I'm Ross. I'm getting hopeful. Don't give me hope. D- Jim Davis just tweeted that someone in my stream said they previewed Ren and Seven, and I would have bet my life they were joking. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would. It's funny that he says that because you've you've heard me do that before. When like you know when you're telling your friend something, you're like, no, that's not how it works. And you're like, no, no, I know I'm right. And they're like, I'll bet you a hundred dollars. I'm like, I'll bet my life. You could slit my fucking throat if I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, like I will bet my damn life on it. So, yeah, I will say hopefully. Well, I mean, how much into the show are we right now? We're about an hour, 15 minutes. Hopefully something else pops up, but I have a feeling, you know, maybe that's that's it. You know, I don't know. Like, for the day. But if something else pops up, we'll try to talk about it. So, Oh, man. The uh, Play With Fire is also just probably an upgrade on Wild Slash and Pioneer, right? Which was the staple red one-mana removal spell in that format. Yeah, I mean, it... it it's better than all the other shock variants, I think. Besides, well, that one technically doesn't go face. There was the one that, like, when you had a couple of spells in your yard, it became bolt for creatures. But, uh, like, fiery, not fiery temper. Um, um, fiery impulse. 
Fire Impulse, yeah. That one was, like, pretty good in a format where, like, you needed to be able to kill creatures and stuff, but that one couldn't go face, so... <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, and speaking of Pioneer, you and I were j- joking about this before the show. That format's had a little life breathed into it recently, right? Like, I know y'all did an episode of it. There was a showcase this weekend. Some people have been playing it, and with Paper Magic coming back. Yeah. And well, with Historic being turned into, like, a meme. Yeah, now it looks like we're starting to see some signs of life in Pioneer. I think I I imagine like you pan over and you see the the person like lying in the hospital bed and the flat line just starts to blip a little bit. Boop, boop. Yeah, boop, boop. it's like the it's like the very end of the TV show, you know, where it flat lines and then it yeah. starts to fade to black. You see the the little the little bitty little blip, the little triangle. Yeah, so uh, it, it looks like Pioneer, you know, m- might have some signs of life. The the showcase, you know, gave some people some reason to look into the format and innovate again um and i think we'll see it a little bit in paper at least i hope we do uh but the certainly the big winner is jun citadel which is a deck that has you know existed in pioneer before but it got a huge boost from prosperous innkeeper which is seeing a lot of play in standard as well uh in Nyawinota. it's uh from afr color screen one one when it etbs you make a treasure and whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control you gain a life so here, like, Prosperous Innkeeper is a two-drop and a deck that needed two drops, because it's all ones and threes uh, for the most part. It still accelerates you, it fixes your mana in a three-color deck with Bolas of Citadel. It, the treasure token is Sacrifice, so it has synergy with Mayhem Devil. The extra life is incredible with Citadel. So, like, every time you cast, uh, you know, Catacomb Sifter off Citadel and Woe Strider, you now, it only costs you one life instead of three. Maybe it gains you life if you find a second Innkeeper, right? So... It really just even supercharges Citadel even further in the deck. Um, and it, so it just does a lot of really, really good things for it. Helps you stabilize a little bit against aggro too while you're setting up your engine. Uh, really, really sneaky good addition to this deck. And the, the Jun Sacrifice deck just dominated the tournament. Uh, you know, a bunch of copies in the top eight. This is now, you know, if you're getting back into Pioneer... This is your public enemy number one. So if you just want to play the best deck, that's what I would recommend. If you want to try to attack the metagame, this is the first deck in your sights. Though I will say, if you want my pick for for favorite deck at least, the fourth place list, this Jeskai Ascendancy deck with Omnath and Treasure Cruise and Expressive Iteration and Sylvan Awakening, this is my jam. I remember seeing this and like almost sending it to you because this is literally the the Ross Merriam special. Like I know you just love Jeskai Ascendancy. And I got to think Expressive Iteration is a pretty big boon to Jeskai Ascendancy yeah. decks. And, and this is like, this is not a Jeskai Ascendancy deck that's all one mana spells and zero mana spells. This is going actually big and setting up wins with Sylvan Awakening so that you end up playing just like better cards. You're ramping into Omnath, you're playing Expressive Iteration. You still have Chain of the Rocks is really good cheap removal that triggers Ascendancy. Um, and uh, Treasure Cruise and Opt as your cheap spells. You know, only mana creatures Sylvan Carry added, but Sylvan Awakening sort of counts. This deck looks really, really cool to me. This is the deck that I would be uh, chomping at the bit to play. Also love the Gigantha. Mm-hmm. Right? Can you imagine Gigantha with Jeskai Ascendancy? Like, look oh, jeez. I didn't even think about that. There, there's not a lot of colorless mana in the cost of these spells, Tannen. Carry added is that. one colorless. Sylvan Awakening is two colorless. And ty- the one tireless tracker. So, oh, and, and Treasure Cruise is seven. <laughs> Te- technically. 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 <laughs> yeah, technically. Technically. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Jacantha is a really cool one to play with. It. That that that's that's my favorite deck, but the, clearly the Jun deck is is you know the best deck mm-hmm. in the format right now. 
And yeah, a big thing for the Jun deck too is like I think we kind of kind of overlook how much better the mana base is now with all the pathways and the fact that not only is it good, but it's less painful. Like you're not paying twelve shocks anymore; you're playing twelve pathways and like I think four shock lands because you know there is that worry that you know you do so much damage to yourself with Bolas, the Citadel, and all these shock lands that you get kind of run over by the aggressive creature decks. And then you know not to mention Prosperous Innkeeper helps a lot. And I wanted to say one thing about this. Prosperous Innkeeper wasn't on my top eight list, and somehow I don't even know how it didn't make it on there when we did the show, because I actually thought this card was quite good. On the spoiler, I might have mentioned it on that show. I'd have to go back and listen, and I'm just not going to do that. So um, I can't remember if we talked about that or not, but this is a card that I like a lot. This is the leader in the clubhouse for what we're going to play in Pioneer this weekend, because it's Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy for the, uh, for the team event. The problem is... Finding all of the cards for the deck is proving difficult. I'm missing a few of the pieces for this deck, and uh, so are the other guys in the team. So, and it's not the stuff that you would think. We're missing a lot of like the uncommons. <laughs> so, like we can't find like you know. I think we found catacomb sifters, but like finding prosperous innkeepers right now is difficult because like no one plays paper magic and has these cards. And like you know, finding four copies of Woe Strider and Priest of the Forgotten Gods. Like you might have that stuff because this is your kind of card and your kind of deck, but. You know, yeah, I, I have all the, yeah, I have all the other stuff. And, like, I'll, I don't have all of the lands. Like, I don't have all the pathways. I have most of them. So, that's, we might just be playing, you know, is it Phoenix again as well? So, we'll see what happens there. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this format possibly coming back. And you got to think that if Paper Magic starts getting big again over the next year, you know, th this, this is the third format, right? Like, it just, it almost has to be, right? You can't play historic and paper. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it has to be modern pioneer standard when we're doing like team events on the SCG tour. Hopefully those come back. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've always thought pioneer was a good format. It just didn't get the support that it needed. And without support, no format can be successful. And mm -hmm. you saw just the existence of this one showcase challenge was enough to get people to look into the format and innovate and bring prosperous innkeeper into this John sacrifice deck that was an established archetype in the format. And can you imagine if we, like, you know, had real tournaments more regularly? Like, you would see it grow pretty quickly, I think. So, mm -hmm. hopefully, Watsi takes that as a sign, and hopefully, SCG takes that as a sign. Uh, and we start seeing some more support, maybe through MTG Melee um, in, in the coming weeks. But I know everybody's just so focused on Arena that it'll probably have to, you know, wait until we get full-fledged, you know, consistent paper magic events. Yeah, absolutely. And... You know, it wouldn't take much, right? Like, let's say that the Envy happens at the end of October, right? And, like, you know, it's probably going to be standard modern. Like, that that's my guess. But, like, you just have, you know, a big classic or, you know, you make the open pine. I don't know. Probably don't do a Pioneer open. But. You don't have to dangle a very big carrot in front of Magic players to get them to come mm -hmm. chasing. You yeah. know? <laughs> we, we, love, we love ourselves a good carrot. Do like it doesn't vegetables. have to be very big. Yeah, I do like vegetables, so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, I think that covers about what we wanted to cover for the show this week. We do have some mailbag submissions and stuff uh, as well to go over. So let's do it. Go ahead and move to that. Yeah. All right. Give me one second. Let me pull these up. Had the stuff sort of ready. Uh, Keep in mind that the mailbag is something we offer through our Discord mm -hmm. channel. Uh, and the mailbag is open only to our Patreon subscribers. So if you want to hop on over to our Patreon, it's just the M MTG cast or MTG Rants cast or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's MTG Rants, just look for it, you can find it. Yeah. They're smart people, you know how to Google. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, very, very yeah. easy to find there, yeah, yeah. And we appreciate all of your support through those uh, media. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the mailbag submission question is directed towards you, Ross. This is from Matty J. Thanks for the support, Matty J. Thanks for your question. Ross, what's your plan to break into Tannen's top three karaoke performances? Um, this is a callback to last week's episode yeah. as well. I Well, one, I, I don't have such a plan because that would be a quixotic quest. Um, uh, you know, that there, I'm just not talented enough to do that. I, I would have to do like a duet with someone and make it really cheesy, but really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, so I guess, I guess Todd and I could work on something. Todd and I have done Old Town Road before. We could, we could That's work. That's actually kind of great. Yeah. Uh, we could, we could work. We did that, uh, at an invitational once, but, uh, we could, we could work on that. Maybe that. I said I didn't have a plan, and now I'm just devising one while I'm answering the question. <laughs> Don't tell me, because that kind of like the yeah. ends it or whatever, it, too. It'll, so. it'll have to be working with Todd to, to get a good duet going, and then we'll break in as, as a duo, because neither of us is good enough to, to break into it mm-hmm. by ourselves. As long as it's positive, if I ever get to see it in person, it's going to be way up there, because seeing you guys in person again is going to be, you know, really nice. It's going to have that going for it, if you get what I'm saying. Now you're just blowing smoke up my ass. Uh, it's better than the other thing. Hey, sorry, I don't <laughs> want to finish that thought. All right. <laughs> anyway. All right. Uh, a little, little callback to last week's episode as well. Uh, <laughs> last week's episode got a little weird. I don't know if you saw Lee McLeod talking about it on Twitter, but it was really good. Speaking of Lee McLeod, he had a really good overrated, underrated. Uh, his was a catharsis. Catharsis, uh, mm-hmm. probably underrated. It's really nice to have a good emotionally uh, sort of re- resolving release. moment. Yeah, yeah release. release. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big, love love big a good fan. catharsis. Yeah, big big fan. Uh, Joe at Mister English says revenge. Overrated. In most aspects, overrated for sure. Like yeah. I, in fact, most of the times that I've gotten quote unquote revenge on somebody, I felt guilty about it afterwards, and like you have to like deal with that emotional shit too. So it almost like. Never feels great. There's there's some, I'm sure, that feels really good. Uh, Eva Quinn says, Silk, the fabric. I'm going to go with uh, underrated. If you've ever had silk sheets like to sleep in, they're amazing. Uh, yeah, silk silk is definitely underrated. It's yeah. it's really nice. Uh, Chase says, MOBAs, you know, like the, the game. M- like multiplayer online battle arena, something. Yeah. Is that what it stands for? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever played one. <laughs> I've also never played one, but I'm going to go with uh, slightly, if for me, overrated, because people have told me how great they are, and like I don't love it as much as other people, but in general, I think they were definitely underrated until I think like the last year or two people have really come to realize, well, there's been good ones that have come out, and people have come to realize like how great they can be. Uh, Gold says Oreos. Overrated. Also overrated. Joe Mr. English says fried Oreos underrated definitely underrated jack jack brown's which is a great restaurant in roanoke it's actually a regional chain 100 um, percent go there get a yeah. burger get fries get a fried oreo yeah they they or literally do nothing but burgers fries and fried oreos and uh, the fried oreos are delicious they're a dollar mm-hmm. well worth it oh it's amazing uh I was gonna say there. I can I can remember the last two times I've had fried oreos was there and when I lived in Dallas Texas we I went to the Texas State Fair by the way the Texas State Fair is everything you think it is. It's unreal. It's just there's a giant cowboy statue in it too. By the way, like just a thirty foot cowboy o- statue. Only one. I think so. I, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't one hundred percent sober. By the way, but there is a part of the fair where they will deep fry anything for you. You bring it in. They have stuff. But I just like usually get Oreos. Holy uh, shit! What's that? 
so um, the uh, for people that that don't know, I'm on the the board of a community center here in Roanoke called the Hope Center, and uh, we had partnered with the co-op grocery store, uh, and we were there like round up uh, for the month of July. So all like every time you like go to check out and ask you do you want to round yeah, up to like give money to thirty to X, cents to it, yeah. it was to the Hope Center for the month of July. And we were expecting to get like a thousand dollars or whatever out of it, which is, a, you know, we were very happy to get it. And one of the guys who goes in regularly had been updating us and it got to about like 1900 with like a week left. So we thought, oh, we're probably going to end up about 2000. That's even better. I'm just now getting the final total and it's $2,975.22. Hell yeah. You love to see it. And that is really underrated. There yeah. you go. So we're getting about 3K. That's fucking gas. Let's go. All right, Brent Wagner, our lovely editor, while Ross over here dances, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, by the way, charity, definitely underrated. Uh, Brent Wagner, our lovely editor, says, using a D20 spin down for a random value. Like, just use a... Look, here's the thing. As long as you're not actively trying to cheat, I don't give a shit unless we're at, like, competitive level play. Then use a real D20. Yeah, like, I like the, the issue I have with... I don't have an issue with using it as long as, you know, both players trust each other because, like... This idea that it's, like, not random. I hate the way people use the word random because I have a very mathematical in, in sense of it. But most people use the word random as a synonym for arbitrary, like, without reason or, or motivation. And when, like, things, you know, decidedly aren't random, they also think random only means, uh, um, uh, like, um, oh, my God, what is the name of that distribution? But just, like, a, a flat probability distribution where everything is equally likely to happen, right? When, you know, things can be ran like a, a, a weighted coin flip is still random, but if it's 75% heads versus 25% uh, tails, like, that's still random. It's just not fair, which is the term. So, it, it like, it, it's hard for me to get, like, I, I never bring it up to people because, like, you know, these are things that, you know, you learn when you take advanced probability courses and you just learn the, the that kind of terminology, but it always, just, like, bugs me. And it just gets into my head. Um, so, like, you always hear in these discussions, like, the, you know, spin downs aren't random. Like, they are random. They're just easy to manipulate. That's the problem. Um, so, you know, as long as you're, you trust your opponent, like, go ahead and use them. Yep. Uh, Gold says Ace Ventura Pet Detective 1 and 2. Like a glove. I haven't seen them in many years. But I have to imagine, like, every movie for that's that old, it does not age well, especially comedy movies. So I'm yeah, going to guess usually, overrated. They usually don't, but uh, Jim Carrey's comedic genius in the 90s was actually really, really good. Speaking of, Joe says Liar Liar. I think that movie's actually underrated. I thought that okay, movie was great. That, that one I actually have watched a lot recently because for whatever reason, the comic book store I used to go to and play Magic at right after I graduated college, the guy just loved that movie, the owner, and it mm -hmm. would just be on in the background all the time. That movie is it actually holds up pretty well. So, pretty cool thing. Do you know who Fire Marshal Bill is? No. So, uh, Jim Carrey, before he became a movie star, was on a popular uh, sketch comedy show called In Living Color. Do you remember this? Yeah, I, I know of it, but I never watched yeah. it. And there was a character, a recurring character on, on there that he did called Fire Marshal Bill. And it was like just like this absurd you know, person that talked about you know fire safety and stuff. Like, I, I was so young, I couldn't even like tell you everything, whatever. But... In that movie, at the end of the movie, you know, when he, like, tries to stop his family on the tarmac while they're leaving, and he's like, no, don't leave, and, like, you know, they have the whole heartfelt moment. 
if you look in the background of all the, uh, like, you know, there's like, uh, you know, cops and like, um, you know, uh, emergency personnel. There's like a, I'm literally, oh my God, I'm blanking on so many words. I've had a rough day. There's an ambulance there and some medical people. He photobombs his own movie. He's actually in the background as Fire Marshal Bill in his own movie. So it's, it's a cool little thing in the, in the, in the movie. Uh, Leo, the magic man says Larry David. Um, probably overrated. Like anytime something like that gets created, like an iconic t- television show, in this case, two iconic television shows, right. With, with Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, like there is teams of people that go into yeah. making those things work. And it seems like Larry David has gotten a, like basically all of the credit. And so he probably doesn't deserve as much credit as he's gotten. Hence overrated. Yeah, sure. Uh, David Tennant. This is one of the people who played the doctor on Doctor Who. I'm unsure. I believe that's who this is, but I have never watched Doctor Who and I don't care. Give me, yeah, I second that. I've tried to watch it at least and I just can't, but give me one second. I'm looking up the name. Uh, oh, no, no. Th- yeah, this is a guy who was, who was, he's a Scottish actor. He did, he did know that. He's best known for that. I think this guy's underrated though. This actor is amazing. I love this actor. I think he's very funny and his portrayal as Kilgrave on Jessica Jones was actually terrifying. Like I, I thought that he was utterly amazing and stood out in a very good, like anytime you can watch a show that's really good overall, like well done, you know, well-written, well-acted, but something stands out. That's even, you know, more impressive, right? When one specific thing stands out. So I, I love this guy. Uh, Cathal says Ikea. Um, Overrated. Also overrated, man. Fuck putting that stuff together, dude. Yeah. It's really, really annoying. And the, the meatballs it, aren't even that good, Ross. Yeah, we shouldn't be forced to like go through that kind of nonsense just to get affordable furniture. I think at one point in time, if I'm ever near an IKEA again, because like they built one right where I used to live in Vegas, like right when I moved away. I think I'm gonna try to do the thing where uh I'm gonna try to like get myself lost in IKEA and try to spend the night there. And I'll just like live tweet the whole time. Bring in like a backup battery, and I'll try to like sleep in IKEA and stuff. That'll be fun. And then uh, I need you to bail me out from jail the next day. Got you. Okay. Uh, Chase says selling out. Mm, overrated. I'm going to disagree with you here and say underrated because, in the way that I think about it, when I think about selling out, it's usually you know actors, actresses, bands, like that kind of stuff that people usually. Oh man, they sold out. They suck. That is the goal. <laughs> like. You're, 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 you're going public and like doing all this stuff to like make money. And like, I get selling out, you know, if it, if it goes against like your moral code, I'm like, that, obviously that's overrated. Like I get that kind of stuff, but like, bro, let people, let people, you know, make the money they're supposed to when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. You know, let so, them, you know, get their thing. Let them get their bag. I just don't want, I don't want to encourage this culture where everyone's goal is to just accumulate wealth. And so we need to be, you know, yes, like you should look to, you should look to be compensated fairly and compensated well. um, But if you're not looking beyond that at the systemic issues that we're facing and you're instead deciding to engage at, at this level where, you know, we're arguing over this, like, Frankly, I don't even want to have this conversation. I just want everyone to understand that the system is fucked and we need a new system. And once we understand that, everything else is kind of moot. Mm -hmm. I like how you, like, make sure you pronounce that correctly. 
Moot? Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, you, like, how- you know, because most people say mute on accident. Anyway. Uh, it's K-Fet's- spelled M-O-O-T. Yeah, but people... Never mind, Ross. Anyway. Uh, KFET says the Big 12. This is the the football conference, or, well, yeah, NCAA Yeah, the conference. sports conference. Yeah, yeah, mainly for football and basketball. Uh, I haven't followed college sports in quite a while. Are they good at things? Uh, They're usually pretty good, but yeah. He, but, yeah Texas the, the hasn't big, been good at football in a while. The The big thing about this, and I think the reason they got, maybe this got asked, especially with me on the show, is uh, I would obviously think they're overrated because people talk about, oh, they're going to compete with the SEC and they never do. But uh, I don't even know if the Big 12 is going to stay together. Well, because Baylor Texas, also just won the basketball championship, so good. Yeah. Well, yeah, but here's the other thing. There are two biggest draws, like the two biggest universities in it overall are Texas and Oklahoma, and they're both leaving. They're both coming to the SEC. Oh, well, that's fucked up. Yeah, the SEC is just going to be unreal, which, I mean, like, they're not going to be as good. You know, you're coming to the best conference in America, but, like, still. This is horseshit. Yeah. College uh, sports is fucking horseshit. Hey, at least they're letting some of the athletes make money now. Yeah, in some ways. It's still just horseshit. Yeah, agreed. We just shouldn't right. have college sports. <laughs> All right, Joe at Mr. English 22 says, Babe Ruth. Um, honestly, underrated. Like, yeah. everyone likes to discredit Babe Ruth because he was playing in his era. And here's the thing. Frankly, I don't give a fuck about any of your weird hypotheticals about what would happen if Babe Ruth played baseball in 2021 because they don't matter at all. What matters is how good was he relative to his competition? And the answer is unbelievably fucking good. 100% agree with Ross here. The, the, the thing that he's talking about is a lot of people make the argument that if you put Babe Ruth into baseball today, he probably wouldn't be that good. A, we don't know that because maybe he was just so good and so much better than everybody else that he would be that good in baseball today. Like, he would be an outlier, which, like, is probably correct. B, like, you know, you think about it like, oh, the pitching wasn't that good back then. It doesn't matter. He was still better than it. Like, I used to always make the joke. It's like, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, pitchers and hitters back then. We used to make comparisons and, like, I used to joke with it. I'm like, yeah, like, if you just hit a fastball back then, you could, you could be great because, like, you know, pitchers didn't throw breaking balls. Like, if you, took, if you took Kershaw right now and put him in, like, the 1930s or the 1920s in baseball, he'd have been burned at the fucking stake because they thought he was a witch when he threw a curveball. <laughs> you know, they'd have been like, what the hell was that? You know, like, when he throws a ball, a ball or whatever. But, obviously, Babe Ruth, one of the best of all time, not even close, and he literally redefined the sport. He, like, he, like made baseball. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's the, the first big attraction in baseball. You know, like, you think about the Yankees, you think about Babe Ruth. Uh, Admiral Epsilon says, Baby Ruth, massively overrated. Oh, it's my favorite candy bar, underrated. Why Why am I not surprised? <laughs> I'm just, like, not surprised at all. Joe Mr. English says, Payday, way overrated. Way, way overrated. Those That's, like, one of the good. worst. That is yeah. one of the worst. They just took the center of a candy bar and, like, got yeah. rid of the rest, and like, you're just like, what are you doing? So, like, th- the best thing about every candy bar is they put all the stuff together, right? Like, they get the, the peanuts or whatever. They do get, like, whatever you put peanuts, in the- They're too yeah. salty. Yeah, and then they cover it in chocolate, which is, like, the best part of the thing. And they're like, you know what? That last step? Nah, fuck that. Yeah. Instead, we're going to have 8,000 times more peanuts than we actually need. Like, yeah, people who like Payday are, like, they're, like, the hipsters of candy bars. You know what I mean? They're, like, they're like I, I'm I'm the guy that likes Payday. I'm the one that keeps... Like, who the hell is keeping Payday in business? Yeah. That's what I want to know. I can't remember the last time I've seen someone eat one or purchase one or talk I about one it. reverently in any I way. I attempted it. I attempted it within the last decade. I don't remember how it came up, but we were somewhere. And I remember I attempted to eat one, and it was just so god awful. It's yeah. so dry, like it just your mouth immediately goes dry. Yeah, because of, also because of the salt. 
Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Katazan Roar says Training Day. Uh, I've never actually sat down and watched the movie. I'm assuming that's what they're talking about, so. Yeah, n- neither have I, but uh, it's about a cop, so overrated. Yeah. Uh, Cathal says Unbans and Modern. Probably a little underrated because we've only had, like, one real big uh big time thing of that happening you know like we had one card get unbanned and get banned again right away because they realized it was a mistake yeah but there's there's some cards on there that i think are safe you would think after the experiences we've had where only one card got rebanned and it was like such an obviously degenerate card but anytime they've unbanned a card that goes into fair decks whether it's you know bitter blossom ancestral vision stoneforge mystic jace the mind sculptor what have you None of them have been too good for Modern at the time they unbanned them. And in fact, like, Ancestor Vision and Bitter Blossom are actively not very good. Um, and Jace the Mind Sculptor right now is not very good. So, like, why are we, why are people scared at all about Umazawa's Jite? I, I don't, I literally do not think Umazawa's Jite would be a playable banjo card. Yeah. In Modern uh, That one I'm not so sure of, but we'll see. Whatever. What, what deck is playing it? I, no, well, no, no, actually, I'm not, I'm not saying n- you're wrong. Now, now with, Ro- now wrong. with Rogovin and DRC around, yeah. it actually yeah. might be playable again. Uh, th- this this was a take I had, you know, for a while. That, that It's changed, though. Curves have gotten a little bit lower. GTA has gotten better. But I still think it would be eminently fair and perfectly fine to put in the format. Um, I think Birthing Pod is a potential unbanned, though I think at this point Birthing Pod it just becomes a combo card, and so it's yeah. just not fun. Um, yeah. And when I say combo card, I don't mean like Muliropod kind of combo that is really just a, a bad aggro deck that that like or like mid range aggro deck that has a combo in it. Um, I, th- I feel like there's another one I I have been advocating for, not Green Sun Zenith. Yeah, we don't have to go too far into it. Yeah, Maybe I don't know. Before in the show, um, but um, at, le- at least Gta uh, can can come off, and like people have got to yeah. stop being so hysterical anytime you suggest a card coming off, like, no, that card is so busted. Like, GTA was busted 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I would like to see... In 15 years. If, if GTA were printed today, it wouldn't know how to hit a curveball. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I, I'm I'm in the camp that I think uh, Splinter Twin should stay banned, but I'm not sure. But I will say this. I would be interested to see what a Splinter Twin Ragavan deck looked like, because, like, you definitely play that card in that deck. But... Um, Imer Hill comes in with uh, digital-only mechanics. Fuck that. Overrated. Yeah, same. Paper magic right. forever. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we're going to uh, end the overrated, underrated Paper boomers there. unite! Exactly. Speaking of uh, things that we want to unite over. I think we're we going to get our pitchforks together. We're going to plan an event in advance. We're going to all commit to it, and then we're going to show up on time because none of us have phones. It's the 1990s again, baby. I like it. I like it. We can, we can get our beepers together. Yeah. We're going to do some drug deals. It's going to be great. Our cell phones are going to be like nine pounds. Yeah. And they're yeah. going to come in a briefcase. Yeah. Or you could be the the 2005 era where your cell phones are four inches tall and, you know, fit inside your ear. Yeah. Yeah. I like, we went through that whole phase where like they, they made cell phones and they're like, we could make them as small as possible. And they started getting big again. They started yeah. like fucking because gigantic They, put a, for they a put a fucking screen on them and made them yeah. into computers. They're like, yeah, it's just a TV in your pocket. Yeah, so, all right. Uh, I know we mentioned at the beginning of the show, but make sure you check out our sponsor. Uh, that's Barrister and Man, Man with Two Ns. Uh, BarristerandMan.com. Um, lots of cool stuff to find on their website there. Um, I know I always sing the praise of it, but I've honestly just been a big, big fan of all the shaving stuff that goes along there. The shaving butter, the aftershave balm. Um, I, I can't stress enough how long my razor has lasted. 
using this stuff and how much better my skin has been. It's just, I, I, it has my full endorsement. I can never go back, Ross. I'm fully spoiled. I have to have this for like the rest of my life now. I can, I can't go back. And yeah. it's just uh, a lot of great stuff there. Uh, I started wearing cologne a little bit again. You know, I think we talked about this on one of the episodes recently. You know, we got some cool colognes from them. Uh, I've been trying out the, I don't know 100% if it's still available, but during this time of year, a little usually the months before this, they have the diamond collection out, which it smells like baseball. You know, it smells like grass, stuff like that. Really cool smells for some of your stuff. Lots of cool soaps and all kinds of things. Lots of great gifts and stuff. So make sure you check them out. And you get 15% off of your order if you use the code MGGRANT. So make sure you check them out. That's Barrister and Man with two N's. Dot com. Ross, if people wanted to hear more of you, see more of you, and maybe hear about this uh, this stream that might be coming back soon, where would they go? Okay, first place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunnids. Uh, that is the you know one-stop shop to get updates on magic content, good place to ask me questions about things. Uh, so that's step number one. Then there's my written content on StarCityGames.com. My articles go up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. This week's article, as I mentioned earlier in the cast, is all about ways to go over the top of elementals and decks that I think are positioned well to do that and exactly why. Um, so if that interests you, I'd appreciate uh, a read there. Then there is Versus Live, the web show I do twice a week with Corey Baumeister. Uh, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Star City Games Twitch channel, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, when you listen to this, we uh, you can watch the VODs the day after. We had Brad on today against me, so you can watch. We had special guest uh, Brad Nelson there. And then all next week, we're going to have another special guest, and that is Jim Davis. He's going to be in Roanoke for the week, hanging out here, and he's doing Versus Live both days. So one of them is going to be Corey against him. One of them is going to be me against him. Uh, so you're definitely going to want to tune in for that. We're going to have a good time with it and see if Jim can hang uh, playing with actual paper cards again, because I doubt he's done it in a year and a half. Okay, uh, most of us really haven't, so, you know, yeah. we'll, so we'll, we'll see. Would love for you all to catch those live. As I said, it's 1 to 4 p.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, but if you can't, the VODs do go up on the Star City Games YouTube channel the day after, uh, usually by 5 p.m. Eastern, so by the end, end of the business day. So uh, then finally, as uh, Tannen mentioned, my stream... Uh, gonna get that going as quickly as I can. Once I finish, you know, unpacking and getting fully settled here in the new house, I will get to finally diagnosing the issue with my uh, desktop and uh, fixing that and then getting the stream fired up again. Uh, but if you want to throw me a follow on Twitch in the meantime, so you get the notifications when I do get that set up, I am Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch, and I would appreciate that as well. Tannen, People want to get some baseball rants because we're getting to the the meaty part of the of the season. Though the the Braves have been disappointing, um, you know, and maybe if you want, um, I guess uh, college football is going to start up soon again. If you want some LSU rants to see if they can defend their title, when's the last time a college football team went back to back? Like Alabama six years ago, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it might have been Alabama or whatever. But um, yeah, the Braves very disappointing season. Really happy with what they did at the deadline. Um, what they do? They made like four trades. That's a lot of trades. Yeah. Uh, so we replaced our entire outfield because we have none of the outfielders. We have none of the four outfielders we started the season with. We have huh. four new ones. Um, so that's so like they're at least like a competitive team now in a really bad division. The whole division's been really bad this year, and they're only yeah. a game. Well, if they win tonight, they're only a game out. The, the, the only good teams been, in the National League are in the West. So 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. So, and the 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 team can win a playoff series. Like I don't think they can win the World Series. It's a little anger it's a little anger inducing to see them make that many moves this year, like after all the injuries and stuff and uh bad luck and police debacles that have gone on this year because you know one of our players is a giant piece of shit anyway. Um I I digress. And uh you know all that stuff that's going on and last year the team was good enough to win the World Series especially if we just make you know make the right move and it didn't happen, but Again, you know, I'm not the front office. I don't see the, you know, the, the asking price on this stuff. But yeah, yeah if you want to hear me talk about that kind of stuff, magic stuff, literally anything. Great pictures of my dog. I had a really cool picture of my dog up from uh, earlier today. That is uh, under the Tan and Grace on Twitter. Under Twitch, I'm just Tan and Grace. I haven't been streaming a lot lately. I've been kind of uh, disenchanted with it. I haven't loved the most recent limited set. But I'll tell you this: Innistrad looks like a banger to me so far. <laughs> and if Innistrad's fun and I like it, I'll be playing every day. So I, I get a little obsessive. So there's a chance that I come back with a vengeance when all that happens. And who knows, maybe Ross and I get some co-op streams going at some point in time whenever he gets gets his stuff back. Because we've been talking about that for quite a while. So make sure you look out for that. Uh, look out for Ross's stuff and look out for more stuff from NTG Rants. Like the episode that we're going to have next week. So we'll see you all then. <laughs>